Cho, author of the Gumigo Duology and Once Upon a K-Prom. And I'm Clarabelle Ayrtega, author of Ghost Squad and Witchlings, and this is Write or Die. Nice. Wee! Okay. We, you know, it's been like, what, four seasons and we finally got it? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. I actually don't think we, 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 we will ever get it, but... We've That's done fine. it perfectly sometimes, here and there. Here and there. I like that we do it new each time. Just to yes. get all of those bloopers in there. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, okay. You sound kinda you sound kinda far away. Oh, I le- I leaned away for a second. Can you hear me now? Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, cool. Well, you know, Something actually just came up on Twitter that I, I, I think I sent you the tweet because I was like, what do you think about this? Because it was mm. actually a really interesting question. Um, and it was the question of whether authors are satisfied with their accomplishments. But then the person also asked if people are happy. Um, mm. And I thought that that was really interesting because... Some people were equating the two. Some people were like, oh, if you're not satisfied, then you're not happy. Um, but I don't necessarily mm. think that's true. What do you I think? I don't think it's true. Yeah. I, th- I think that, that it was a really good question, but I think it's two different questions, right? Like mm-hmm. if you're satisfied or if you're happy, I think you can be happy um, and still want to do more. For your career and that's okay um I think sort of the idea that if you do want more it means you're not happy at all is I guess it depends on the person right it's like situational um but for me I really think that like my take on it like when I uh you know quote tweeted that that uh, tweet that you sent me was like I'm very, I'm I'm very happy with with what I've accomplished so far, but there's still things that I would like to do, like goals that I have, mm-hmm. um, that I'm still working towards. Um, that doesn't mean that I'm not really happy with everything I have accomplished, though. Um, so I think it's possible to not be satisfied with like where you are in terms of like wanting more, but being satisfied with what has you what you have gotten up to that point if that makes sense (laughs) um um, but I do think that those are two different questions right like are you happy or are you satisfied like I think that it 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 just gets confusing when you sort of conflate the two of two things yeah I I agree with you I mean I think I um maybe I'm trying to look at it more from like a practical point or maybe it's just like how my brain works but like in my mind if someone is completely satisfied it means that they don't feel that they need anymore right so if they don't Mm -hmm. feel they need anymore like they don't have any more goals to achieve they don't need to um, move forward anymore forward because they've done everything they wanted they set out to do then Mm -hmm. they lose motivation right to keep writing and to keep creating Um, and therefore for me I actually don't ever want to be satisfied in that way like I always want to have goals new goals I always want to have new things to work towards because I think that internal motivation is such a good one to have 
Um, Mm -hmm. And I think for me, the reason why I'm trying to focus on that more is because I am a very externally motivated person. And I am trying to lean away from that because in so many ways, depending on external validation in this industry and in this career can lead to so much heartache and so much anxiety and so much toxicity in in some ways that I'm Mm -hmm. really, really trying to lean away from that um, and trying to just like search for more internal motivators. So for me, that equals like having goals, like I want to write a middle grade novel um, or submit and go on submission with it and sell it and publish it right like that's a goal for me that's a that's a thing Mm -hmm. that I want to achieve Um, so yeah I don't ever want to be like okay I'm satisfied I've done everything I want to do in this career Um, I want to keep on having new things and it's like and also I feel like it's fair that like once you've achieved one thing you realize oh wait here's this other thing that I'd also like to do that I never realized and and I think that's fine and in fact I think that's great um in terms of being happy in your career that's trickier territory for me personally because mm-hmm. like I said I am I I am an externally validated personality type um and I think that that's really affected my mental health um what mm-hmm. coming into publishing um from science whereas like because in science like i'm like someone can say your data set is correct and that's the end of it right (laughs) and i'm and i'm validated (laughs) but in publishing there's no right way to publish um so i can't get that easy validation it's all subjective and everyone has opinions on everything and so it's yeah. it's really hard to please everybody and and well i mean you can't do it like i know you can't it's um, impossible <laughs> so i'm but but i do think that i'm happy that i'm an author um i'm happy that this is the path i've chosen i'm happy yeah. that i'm like friends with people like you you know so I think there's things I'm happy. There's individual things I'm happy about, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. I, I think, I think it's really difficult because the, everyone's definition of like the success in their career is different. And like, I think I was reading through the thread and it was interesting to me that a lot of the quote tweets that I read last night were along the lines of like, yes, I'm very happy. And like the response, a lot of the responses were like, no, I fucking hate my life. Mm -hmm. Um, Why am I an author? Like all of these things. And um, I'm not sure why that is, right? Like everyone has different reasons for why they're unhappy. Some, Some people were like, well, my book came out in 2020 and I have yet to meet a reader in person Mm -hmm, or go mm -hmm. to an event. So I'm not doing well. And like, I feel like how can you blame someone for that? Do you know what I mean? Like, Yeah. yeah, you have every way to like be upset. Like I wouldn't be happy either, right? Um, cause it's not what you signed up for. But I also think that in terms of authors, like especially authors that are very online, like the reason why, like the threshold of like, who's happy, like versus who isn't is so like low. And it's like so many people feel upset or sad in my opinion is because of two things. One is that like people are constantly comparing themselves to others. And especially when you're online, it's so hard not to do that. 
And then also there's this like list of things that people equate with success. And it's like Mm -hmm. getting a six figure book deal, like hitting the list, like doing all these things. And there's only so many people that are going to do that. And if you base your happiness or your success or your career on those things, which are things that you can't control, it is such a slippery slope. Like basing your happiness on good publishing news (laughs) and (sighs) things that are out of your hands Uh where it's like you're just waiting for the next high, basically. You're just waiting for the next (laughs) email, for the next hit of serotonin. Uh And in between that good news, you're just fucking sad all the time. Um, I I think that's so common. I think it's so common. And I think publishing is designed to make us feel like that and we have to recognize that it's a problem and we have to take active steps towards fixing it because it's very normalized it feels like that's what you do Mm -hmm. it feels like that's what everyone's doing and um and it's very easy to fall into those patterns because of the way publishing is designed there are these long waits of um these long periods of waiting with no news and sort of like no you know validation like you said and then you'll have this like huge high of like all these wonderful things happening to you and then you crash again and um I realized that this was happening to me a few years ago and it's actually why I started weightlifting because I realized that um all of the positive feelings that I was getting in my life all of the things that I was chasing had to do with publishing Mm -hmm. and that when something went wrong it was like my world was ending because all of my eggs were in that one basket and I said I need to first of all rediscover the person that I am now and also have goals that have nothing to do with the book world that are just (laughs) about me and that are in my hands right yeah (laughs) excuse me things that will make me happy, will make me feel accomplished, things that I can turn to mm-hmm. um, and things that I can do with my time and that are also like a healthy outlet for me, right? Um, and that really helped me um, tons. And that was sort of like a gateway to me taking a step back from putting so much importance on things that I can't control. Obviously, we are lying to ourselves when we say we don't care about these things. Of course, you care about these things. It's your career. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you care and it's okay that you care. It's your career and like you're allowed to care what happens in your career. <laughs> like that's totally normal. But I think when it becomes dangerous, it's when it's the only thing that you care about. Yeah. When it's something that you care about so much that it makes your mental health unravel and where you become obsessed with it and you watch all the other people around you succeeding and it just sends you spiraling. I've talked I've t- I've talked to so many people privately who have either left publishing or are taking a break from publishing or are really disenchanted with publishing and almost every single time it's because of this need to keep up with their friends. And um I think that in place of having other interests and a well-rounded life and knowing that publishing is not an emergency, it's your career and it's important, but it's not going to, it shouldn't break you as a person if things don't work out. Um, Yeah. But in order for you to get to that place, 
you have to develop a healthy relationship with it, which is very hard because it's not conducive to that. Um, it takes a lot of work. Yeah. I mean, it's actually very interesting because I actually do think that no one warns you when you get into a career that you're really passionate about how much the highs and lows of that career will dictate the highs and lows of your own life mm -hmm. and day to day. Yeah. Um, Cause like, I know a lot of people who like they're good at their job and it's not that they don't like parts of their job, but they're not like obsessed with it the way that people in publishing are obsessed with publishing. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I just think like, and, and I remember myself like, you know, oh gosh, am I going to age myself? Like how long ago did we get into publishing now? Like six or seven years ago, um, longer than that probably when I started trying to oh my god maybe mm -hmm. a decade ago I don't want to talk about it anymore um <laughs> but I, rem I remember when I first like grabbed onto this idea of like maybe I can be published maybe I can even work in publishing I was like what a dream I love books I love all of this stuff like what a dream like what an ideal life I will have when I achieve that right and then I did achieve yeah. it and, and I'm so grateful for being able to experience all the things I experienced but then it became my whole personality for a while um like you were saying Clarabelle and and it and it really came to a head in the pandemic when like mm. I was like I need to get joy in the only place I know to get joy and that was publishing and social media and book twitter and all that stuff and it just became too much and I was so dependent on it and I had no other outlets and and it, it was really bad for me. And, and I think like this thing that like you jump into head first because it feels so positive to you um, because it's the thing you did for joy in the past. Mm -hmm. um, it's still once it's a job, it changes. It's it shifts like the shape of it is different. And and that's not a bad thing. OK, but it is something that we all need to be aware of when we're stepping into this as a job um, just so that we can prepare ourselves to see it differently and to treat it differently and it's a different mindset um, completely and I think that like the issue that was a problem for me at the beginning and I think it sounds like it's a problem for a lot of people who um, either reply to that thread or just discuss this in general uh, in public spaces is that a lot of people who are dissatisfied point to like I thought that when I got to X I I would be happy and it's always like some kind of like I thought a certain achievement or milestone was all I needed to do and then after that it would be like rainbows and unicorns forever but that's just not how yeah. life works you know yeah that isn't that's not mm -hmm. how society works that's not how life in general works it's not how the human brain works you know um yeah like we have our ups and downs even if we're living our quote-unquote dream life you know so i just really don't think that we should hang all of our hopes for for contentment or joy on one goalposts um because then they what is there's a, so many names for it but like it's that feeling you get after a debut and you're kind of depressed like debut depression or whatever mm. um of being like oh i got this thing that i've been working years and years for and i thought i would be so happy and i'm not actually that happy or i'm not like 
ecstatic all the time and that makes me depressed you know yeah I think what we expect from our careers makes a big difference too um like expecting everything to sort of like be one way and it's another Mm -hmm. can be so devastating you know Mm -hmm. and I think it's really easy to feel that because it's a creative field right so you think like if I if I had a job doing this thing that I love and this is like a creative field then there would be no problems right like I would poop macaroni and cheese basically (laughs) um there's just only good um but yeah like you said that's not realistic um I think I think that um it's it you have to rewire your brain in a way Mm -hmm. when you get into publishing and like when you realize all these things and when you see how you deal with all of these changes because it's going to be different from person to person like the problems you have are different from the problems that I have, right? Because Mm -hmm. we see things very differently. We have two completely different personalities, all of that. But we all have like our Our personalities are different. Are you sure? We're not the same person? (laughs) Yes, I'm positive. Um, um, so, so we, um, so we deal with things differently, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but when, once you get into publishing and once you start, seeing how things affect you I think it's really important to always have like sort of like gut checks with yourself like have check-ins with yourself like see how you're feeling how are things affecting you like because I think it's really easy to get caught up in the um the really sort of like rapid pace moving forward gotta get it done attitude and not realize that like you're forming these like awful habits that are going to really affect your health, your mental health, your physical health, all of that. Um, so I think it's really important to sort of like check in with yourself and say like, how am I feeling? Why am I feeling like that? Like, am I taking care of myself? <laughs> am I spending time with like friends and family? Like, am I doing all of these things that make me a person? Mm-hmm. Um, it's important to continue to do all of those things, to continue to do the things that you love outside of publishing and also to keep track of sort of where you are so that you can catch it before it becomes like a huge problem when you do start feeling really unhappy um because that doesn't mean you have to sort of just like put up with it do you know what I mean like if you're in publishing and you're unhappy it's like well everybody feels like this like no that's not okay yeah (laughs) especially if you want this to be your career like you shouldn't just resign resign yourself to being miserable what can you do to fix it? Like, how can you, how can you fix it? Does that mean you have to leave publishing? Like maybe it does, you know, but I don't think so. I don't think that everyone who is unhappy needs to leave. I think that there are adjustments that you need to make. Um, I think spending less time on social media is definitely one of them. (laughs) Uh, Changing your relationship (laughs) with social media, how you view social media, because that's going to help with the comparison problem as well. Mm -hmm. Um, it's really hard to feel good about yourself when you're all, always only looking at what everyone else has achieved and you haven't, yeah. you know? Um, and it really helps. Like, think about it in terms of, like, if you, you especially, like, people who, who have agents or, like, published authors, you walk into a room of non-author people, like, people will be like, oh, my God, that's so cool. You wrote a book. Yeah. Right? Like, they're just impressed that you wrote a book. It, it doesn't even matter if it's published doesn't even matter if it's finished they're like wow I could never do something like that like that's so cool and yet 
we are so hard on ourselves Mm -hmm. because an author who's been working for 25 years has more than we do. Yeah, like, no shit. (laughs) (laughs) I, yeah. No, I agree so much. Well, and it's also interesting because I think I, I agree. Get off social media or or I mean, and we don't mean like stay off. Obviously, Claire Bell and I are still on different platforms for, at different levels. Um, I do. I do think it's worth trying diversifying if you can and if you have um, the ability and the mental, you know, uh, capacity for it, because I do think sometimes it's nice to like, OK, to. TikTok's being a little bit much for me, but I'm just going to go to Instagram and see what people are doing there. Um, but at the same time, like, I also just like completely logging off. Um, and I used to tell myself, like, oh, if I don't know, like, about everyone who I'm, like, Twitter friendly with, if I don't know about all of their book deals, I'm being a bad part of this community. And I'm like, but no. Like, I, we were literally hanging out, like, Yumi and, 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 um, and Ryan, and... I like couldn't for the life of me remember like if I had ever talked to Ryan about his next book. So I asked him about it and it was such a fun conversation and I didn't feel guilty, you know, about not knowing everything about it, even though I'm sure he's like talked about it on his social media. And the reason I don't know everything about it is because I'm not really on social media that much right now. Um, Mm -hmm. and he didn't get mad at me for not knowing either. Like he's my actual friend. Like he wouldn't get mad at me for not knowing. Um, and, and I just like, think that's really nice because like when you don't know what other people are doing, you can't compare yourself to them, you know? Exactly. Exactly. And it's just not healthy to have so much information in your head at once. I just don't think it is in any capacity. Like it's just too much, especially when you're trying to create, you know? Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I think that it's understandable that authors aren't feeling great right now during the pandemic yeah but i honestly think it's just exacerbated a problem that's already existed Mm -hmm. um and there are a lot of things that you know like a walk and like being with your like pet aren't gonna fix like the (laughs) fact that a lot of authors aren't paid enough um Mm -hmm. that like a lot of people in publishing don't have support um And those are, like, systemic issues within publishing that are, like, a lot bigger. Um, And obviously, that's not something that, like, I have an answer for, you know? Um, I'm talking about the things that you can do for yourself on an individual level, but there are some things that are bigger than that. And, like, financial stability is a huge one. Um, As I went through the the thread um, of, of authors responding, that was also one of the big answers, like... I, I am not happy because I'm not financially stable. I'm not happy because I still have a full-time job and I'm um, working on top of that. Like mm-hmm. anyone who's done both at the same time just knows how impossible it is. It's just so hard. It's so hard to have a full-time job and to be an author. You literally, it's two full-time jobs and you do marketing. Like yeah. <laughs> you, it's a lot. It's so much. Yep. So that's something that's like a much bigger problem and that's for another pre-chat <laughs> yes for sure um i mean we are running out of pre-chats as this is our final season but at, at the same time we do still talk about stuff um on our other platforms too but yeah yeah i mean i guess like at the end of the day it's just 
we both think it sounds like we both just really think it's it's very very important to like sometimes take a step back and see the forest for the trees and also just like really like try to find what brings you joy from in all aspects of life and not just Mm -hmm. one very focused limited uh thing in your life yeah for sure Mm -hmm. and i think ultimately it's just about remembering that you are a full human yes with like beautiful things about you and like publishing whether it's going well or it's not does not define you as a person Mm -hmm. you're so much more than your work and I think that's such a powerful thing to hold on to um agree and I just want everybody to always remind themselves of it and to like hold it close because I think it will help get you through those times where you are feeling bad about yourself because things aren't going your way it's okay because you're more than that you're you're wonderful regardless of how your book is doing i'm like getting teary-eyed because i feel like you're talking to me right now I'm like thank you clara oh well i am yeah. well i am <laughs> I, you know it's... i am because i don't i don't want anyone to ever base their feelings of self-worth on their on their career mm-hmm. like if you worked anywhere else if you worked in an office if you worked retail like yeah you would yeah people still do that but like you would tell your friend like yeah don't base like who gives a shit like don't base like your whole life and like your whole self-worth over your job at like you know wherever at the office or at like the gas station or wherever you work Mm -hmm. you don't want to do that and like it's the same for us just because the thing that we happen to do is so close to us because it's a creative thing it feels like a more natural progression in that direction but it's Uh just as unhealthy Agreed. It's so you know what's really funny as you were talking, I was like, oh my god, I wrote this into Kate Once Upon a Kate prom, like because the main character. There you go. The there reason you go. why she thinks the reason why she's so forgettable is because she doesn't have that one really cool thing that makes her stand out, like Robbie does, because he's a K-pop star, and so she's like, if I get that one thing, that one personality thing, then people will think will notice me. And she has to spend the whole story, like, learning, like, oh. no one is defined by any one thing, though. Like, she has to learn that yeah. lesson because she's defining other people by his singular things, too, mm-hmm. you know? So, and maybe I wrote that for myself, you know, because I, right before and kind of during writing Once Upon a K-Prom, I singularly defined myself as an author. And, and maybe subconsciously, like, I was trying to cut that shit out. <laughs> yeah I mean a lot of times our brains tell us the things that we need before we even realize it and I think it's very likely that you wrote that into the book like subconsciously your brain was like hello yeah (laughs) you're worth more than this (laughs) we don't work all day and night for you for you to treat us this way oh my god oh my god (laughs) swear to god Uh, okay this is a good mini therapy session thank you clarabelle you're welcome (laughs) that'll be eight hundred dollars okay i will pay you in in chicken nugget installments oh that is my preferred method of payment Today, we have the amazing Lakin Zaykamp on our show. Lakin Zaykamp is a writer living in Austin, Texas. She's also the creator and host of the Author Pep Talks podcast, as well as a contributor to the Las Musas podcast. She has three objectives when it comes to storytelling. 
to make people laugh, cry, and crave Mexican food. Her work celebrates Chicanx grit, resilience, creativity, and joy while exploring themes, themes of identity and mental health. Her debut novel, Somewhere Between Bitter and Sweet, is out now from Little Brown Young Readers. Welcome to the show! Yay! Thank you so much. I'm actually so excited to be doing this and I'm not like an excitable person. Oh. <laughs> I've, I've spent most of my life like training myself to be, um, to suppress emotions. Oh, no. <laughs> and so there's just like very few publishing things that actually get me like physically excited. And I'm super excited to do this because yeah. I love this podcast so much. I feel like it's been my publishing school since I've got my deal <laughs> and I just am I'm I just want to say I'm so grateful for y'all's generosity and all the information that you've shared over the years it's been so helpful and I also want to say that I know all of the work that y'all do publicly is really just the tip of the iceberg and so for everything we don't see and hear about that you're doing to make publishing more equitable for marginalized creators I just want to thank you I know it's exhausting and frustrating <laughs> and it's just it's hard going to battle for us every day so I just want you to know how much we all appreciate it well like, now I'm right crying now. <laughs> that is so, so super appreciated like yeah. you have no idea like yeah it, it like it is a lot of work um it, a lot, all the things that we do are a labor of love, um, but like it's totally like, worth yes, it. It is a lot of work. <laughs> it is. It, no, but but it's really good for people to like to say that back to us too, because I think we forget sometimes. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Um, yeah. But that's so super appreciated, and like I will say that it's been worth it because just like we've we've been getting like messages and like ha hearing from people like you telling us like how much the podcast has helped, and that it's what we wanted like that is the whole point like we just want to help other writers not feel alone and to mm -hmm. feel encouraged and to feel like they can do it and like it feels like we did it so I'm so yeah. grateful for that I'm so grateful yeah I'm so glad to hear that y'all are getting those messages because I feel like this last season that's an opportunity for us all to do that for us to just sort Aww. of like gush and say thank you because y'all really deserve it <laughs> oh thank my goodness you. I'm like seriously like my eyes are watering yeah I was yeah. tearing up um no I super appreciate it I do I do wonder if it's because it, we finally announced that it was the final season because yeah, I was like I think that's what it is <laughs> I guess people are gonna miss us that's so sweet <laughs> Um, but yeah, we're here to talk about you. Super excited to be able to chat with you about both your debut book and your upcoming sophomore book. I know we are recording this episode in 2021, but it will be airing in 2022 right before your second book comes out. But first, let's rewind the clock and talk about how you first got into writing, how you got your agent, how you got your debut book deal. Tell us everything. Okay, so I did write some things down because I wanted to make sure it was within my time limit because <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I've lived a lot of life in the past 10 years. But basically, I wrote my first book when I was 17 during my senior year of high school. Something had happened in my personal life. And in hindsight, I think writing that first book was just my way of processing that experience emotionally. 
And I was still working on the same novel during my first year of college. And because I just loved the process of writing it so much, I decided to major in creative writing. It was sort of a last minute decision. I had always wanted to be a writer, but I was also very involved in light clubs and organizations, both in my school and in my community that dealt with social issues. So for a long time, I thought I was going to be a social worker. But then my dad got sick. He was diagnosed with cancer and his diagnosis and his death had a huge impact on me in so many different ways, including forcing me to reflect on what I really wanted to do with my life. Not that I didn't stray from time to time. I definitely did. But in that moment, I decided to go for it. And I ended up really enjoying my program. I learned a lot about workshop and, you know, spotting weaknesses in my own work. Um, But I do want to mention that I had a lot of scholarships and financial aid. And so that combined with the fact that I was working while I went to school allowed me to graduate with zero debt and really to pursue that program in the first place. So for me, it was worth it. But I do think that I probably could have cobbled together that same education elsewhere, like through various writer groups and organizations. So I don't think people should feel like they have to pursue a creative writing degree or an MFA, especially if it's going to require you to take out loans. Um, Just because there are so many free resources nowadays and ways of learning those same skills without having to go into debt. But uh, after I graduated, my partner and I moved to Florida so he could finish school. And I knew no one. And since we were only going to be living there for a short time, I didn't really make an effort to socialize. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, I'm not a very social person anyway, but I just took that time to hunker down and write as much as I possibly could. And you know, I was also grieving the loss of my father, so I wasn't really interested in doing anything but writing. I think, again, because it felt like this safe place for me to process what I was going through. But while we were in Florida, I found this temp job at a data analysis company, and many of my coworkers were also artists. So some were writers, some were graphic designers, some were in bands, and none of them were going the traditional route for whatever it was they were making. It was all DIY. And that is kind of how I got turned on to self-publishing. I saw that many writers of color, particularly in the romance and new adult space, were having a lot of success. And I started to wonder if maybe that's where my audience was too. This was early 2010. So it was a totally different time before We Need Diverse Books and before DV Pit and, you know, this push for more diverse characters. So I made the decision to self-publish that first novel. And over the next four years, I ended up self-publishing a total of seven books, including a paranormal romance series, which sort of gained me an audience, um, which was unexpected and, and exciting. And by 2015, I was actually making more money from self-publishing than my two jobs. So I had a full-time job and a part-time job. And it was, you know, I was making more than both of those combined. And you'd think that I would take that as a sign (laughs) and maybe quit those (laughs) jobs and start, you know, pursuing writing full time. But I did not do that because I was a big scaredy cat. So instead of going after this dream of being an author, I went back to school to get a master's degree in education and I became a teacher 
And I wish I had listened to my own intuition and to the universe and all of the signs that it was giving me and instead of listening to my own fear and anxiety, but that's the choice that I made. And so I became an ESL teacher and I adored my students, but I hated everything else. <laughs> it's a really difficult job that can take, it conditions you, I think, to take a lot of abuse, you know, day in and day out. And on top of that, I was the only person of color in my entire department for my entire teaching career. And it's just so, like we talked about before, exhausting to be the only person bringing up issues of equity or racism or bias on a daily basis. All of that vulnerability, all of that emotional labor, it just left me feeling so raw and also really helpless because I rarely won the argument. And when you lose those kinds of battles where someone's humanity is on the line, my humanity, my students' humanity, it is just the most draining and demoralizing experience. And it really broke me after several years of dealing with all of that. I was just an absolute wreck and my stress began to manifest physically, full body migraines, vertigo, nerve pain, just a lot going on. And I just felt really stuck and really lost and unhappy. And I remember laying in bed one night and telling my partner that I felt like a failure. I was losing battle after battle at work. I felt like I wasn't able to protect my students or myself. At that point, my self-pub paranormal series had pretty much saturated the market. No one was buying my contemporary stuff. I had spent almost a decade making these really fear-based decisions, and I was just so disappointed in my inability to take a leap of faith. And at the time, I truly believed that the universe was sort of disappointed in me, too, for ignoring every sign that had been put in my way that I was supposed to be an author. And I believed this because a few weeks after that late night conversation, I sort of got another sign. It was November 2018 and I had spent the morning block walking for Bethel O'Rourke's Senate campaign, which by the way is the most terrifying activity an introvert can possibly do. <laughs> I couldn't imagine. Yeah. Yeah. But I did it. I spent the morning having doors slammed in my face or, you know, just not having them open at all. And when I got home, um, like as soon as I got home, there was a knock on the door. And I think because I had spent the morning that way, I didn't want to ignore that person the way that I had been ignored. And so I went ahead and opened the door and it was this little old man and he said he was out conducting the U.S. Census survey and that our house had been picked. So I usually let no one in my house, <laughs> but I let him inside and he asked some preliminary questions to see whether I or my partner would be chosen for the survey. And it was me, of course. And at first the questions were pretty generic, but the surveyor said that they would adjust based on my answers. And so we get to the section on like medical care and the questions suddenly, like they start to get really personal. So it started with questions like, in the last six months, have you foregone mental health care due to costs? And I was like, yes. <laughs> and then it asked the same question about a therapist and I said, yes. And there were questions about how often I experience anxiety. 
And then the next question was, when was the last time you felt like a failure? <laughs> oh, oh, gosh. Oh, no. That was, so that isn't that was an actual census question <laughs> generated by my previous responses. So I look across the table at my partner and his eyes are sort of crinkled because he want, he wanted to laugh. And like, so did I. Like, I, it was just so bizarre. But I also sort of wanted to cry because it was like, wow, either this feeling is super universal <laughs> or something larger than myself has been listening to me. Or it could be both. But I like to think that it was sort of another sign from the universe that it was time to take back some control. And so in December of 2018, I wrote this very emotional blog post about how I was going to finally chase after my dream of being a published author in earnest. And I was so serious about it. I even gave myself a deadline. I made this online declaration that I was giving myself 18 months to make the transition to writing full time. I didn't have a book deal yet. I didn't even have an agent, but I was just so done with my current circumstances that I went all in and I've blogged more specifically about the things that I did during this time to get me closer to my goal so I won't go into all of those details but basically I polished up my manuscript in early 2019 I participated in DV pit that spring I got my agent in May and my book deal in June but the absolute best part of this story is what happened last summer in June of 2020, which is that I quit my teaching job due to the pandemic. And without even realizing it, I met that 18 month deadline that I had set for myself back in December of 2018. So I feel like, you know, affirmations work, visual <laughs> visualization works, like all of that stuff works. It's mystical. I don't understand it, but it works for me. <laughs> That's that's incredible. That is such a cool story. Thank you for sharing all of that. And I love when people write things down because then it's like you get like a really like robust picture of like yeah, what they went through. For sure. Um, and, and thank you and for, just sort of oh, like, sorry. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say just sort of the, the emotional journey that you went through was really interesting to like hear about. Yeah. And also, I just wanted to say, like, thank you so much for trusting us with a, a lot of the more, you know, sensitive parts of your story, like the grief that you went through. Um, Clarabelle and I have both talked about before, like we've, we've lost family members and it very much influenced our own writing journeys. But and even though it's a part of your writing journey, it still can be hard to talk about. So I really appreciate that you trusted us enough to share that part of your story with us. Um, and I really do hope that it gives hope and inspiration to some of our listeners for sure yeah i don't think i've shared that full version anywhere else in any interview or um publication so i've been saving it oh well then it's even more of an honor thank you so thank you yeah thank you for sure definitely and and like i will say also i really love that you were very open and honest with like all the points where you're looking back, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, and you're like, this is the point where I could have just made the, make the break and done this. I could have just done this. It could have been faster if I did this. And like, but that's, we're not always in the right headspace, right? To like make that change and diving into our writing and, and giving up like what we're told is a stable nine to five lifestyle is really hard. <laughs> so, yeah. so I definitely feel that. And it just goes to show that like, it's not all rainbows and butterflies, this journey into publication. <laughs> 
No, and even the thing that you want most in the world, once you have the opportunity to to have that or even just to get closer to it, you know, sometimes fear gets in the way. And for me, I wasn't really able to make the transition until I had spent a good amount of time in therapy, seeing a psychiatrist, getting on medication, like those three things were really crucial to me actually being able to make the transition. And I didn't have access to any of those things in the 10 years prior. So, you know, yes, I have regrets to a certain extent, but I also have a lot of sympathy for myself um, in my 20s, because like I said, I, I didn't have access to the care that I needed. And it wasn't until, you know, honestly, it wasn't until I saw a tweet from Angie Thomas where she mentioned getting on anti-anxiety medication and how it was really helping her in terms of her personal life, in terms of her work. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was almost 30 and like that really broke the stigma for me. And So if she hadn't tweeted that, you know, I might not have been on this journey. I might not be in the place where I'm at right now where I can, I can have all of the things that I want to a certain extent. Oh, I'm so glad. And, and yeah, it's so true. It's really nice that these big authors that we look up to are willing to share their stories and to let us know, like some of the things that we're going through that we're not alone and that there are solutions and and there are ways to try to, you know, cope with it or, or, and it's all different, right? It's all like very individual and personal. Um, I know like the way that I deal with like my ADHD isn't the same as my friend who is also a writer and also has ADHD because we talk all the time about like the type of medications we take and stuff. And, and it's really good to know, like, you know, I, I just need to like focus on my personal needs and my uniqueness in this in handling this and that helps too I know that I I feel compelled to talk about it and especially to talk about the specifics of sort of my treatment and the fact that I'm on medication because within the Latinx community it's incredibly stigmatized Mm -hmm. I know that mental health issues run in my family and yet no generation before mine really has sought out medical care for it. Um, And there are lots of reasons for that, right? Like there's historically distrust between our community and medical professionals, either because of language Mm -hmm. barriers or implicit bias and racism and all of these different things that make it harder for us to get care. And so for me, that, that motivates me to be candid about it because just like me seeing Angie Thomas's tweet, someone could hear me talk about this and decide that they're, you know, going to do some investigating on their own and that could completely change their life for the better like it did mine. Absolutely. For sure. That's Definitely. my family. That's my family as well and um mm-hmm. it can be a struggle <laughs> uh to say the least. What would you do if the world's biggest K-pop idol asked you to prom? Elena Su and Robbie Choi used to be inseparable until he moved back to South Korea with his family. But before he left, he promised to come back and take Elena to prom. Seven years later, Robbie is part of the biggest K-pop group in the world, and Elena wouldn't be caught dead at prom, which makes it all the more surreal when Robbie shows up on her doorstep to keep that long-ago promise. And now Elena doesn't know what's worse. 
the hate she's getting from Robbie's fans, or the fact that she thinks she's falling for him. From the author of the internationally best-selling Gumiho duology comes Once Upon a K-Prom, a hilarious and heartfelt rom-com that brings the glamour and drama of the K-pop world straight to high school. I do want to talk about the fact that you are, uh, you self-published first. Um, what, what was sort of like the differences that you've seen or like, was it a hard adjustment to make from uh, being a self-published author to being traditionally published? I personally feel like I do just as much now being traditionally published as I did when I was self-published. But the benefit is obviously in terms of distribution and the fact that my books are actually in bookstores, which is a big deal. Um, You know, not just because for me personally, that was sort of a lifelong dream to be able to walk into a bookstore and see my book on the shelves, but also in terms of just discoverability, it didn't take long for like my eBooks that I was self-publishing to sort of reach the audience that they were going to reach and then sort of like hit a dead end. Um, I didn't have the capital to really promote my work beyond word of mouth. So the, for me, like the back, the behind the scenes work is really similar, but I, I get more from being traditionally published. If that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. There's so much, you have to do literally every single job when you're self-publishing and especially if you're not like for people who just like buy an ISBN and like put it on Amazon, they're not really fully doing everything that really goes into self-publishing, right? Like you have to also like get the word out, be your own publicist, be your own marketer, be your own everything, which is a lot of pressure to put on a single person. Yeah. And, you know, even though my publisher, you know, now takes over things that I used to do, like formatting the book, getting it up online, um, like all of those, the production side of things they take care of. I don't know if it's because of the pandemic and how everything has gone virtual, but I feel like even though I don't have that type of work anymore, it's been replaced by all of this mm-hmm. promo that I have to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. so that's, that's why I say <laughs> that they're similar in terms of workload. Um, I mean, it's a good thing on the one hand, because it means I have more opportunities to talk about the book. I'm getting on panels, I'm doing virtual events. And those are things that I never would have been invited to if I was still self-publishing. So there's, you know, I have access to things that I didn't have access to before, but, and, and who knows, maybe the workload will subside, maybe it'll get even bigger, but, uh, I, I have found them to be very similar. So I think if you're considering self-publishing, you, I think you should enjoy most aspects of it. Like you should enjoy the production process Mm -hmm. of creating the book and, you should enjoy being the art director for your cover and just all of those little things. If you find joy in that and you really like being in control of those aspects, I think it's a good route. I know a lot of people are starting to go hybrid, which I think is also um, a, can be a good idea if you're already established in the traditional space because you can put something out 
for, you know, very low overhead and recoup your costs very easily. And then you have like this, you know, you're not paying back in advance. Like everything that you're earning is just going directly to you, which is really nice. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad that people are doing hybrid stuff too. And I hope that that adds to like people taking self-publishing more seriously too. Um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of like little nefarious things that I don't think people realize happen when you self-publish. Um, like you said, like there's things that you wouldn't be invited to just as a self-published author, but there's also things that you're not eligible for if you self-publish first. And I think people don't know that going into it. And it, I think the solution is not, then don't self-publish. I think the solution is like, stop punishing people for self-publishing yep. because mm-hmm. a lot of, um, like you were saying, a lot of people who self-publish do it because, you know, it, it's harder for, for, marginalized authors to get their foot in the door and then we're like for example well I won't give an example because I don't want to burn any bridges but (laughs) there are certain awards there are certain awards or like lists right that you can't be part of if you Mm -hmm. self-publish first like you're not eligible and um I think that's kind of shitty I think that's shitty I think that if you have like a if you have like a super long like if you're you know the lady who wrote um what's the what's the I'm I'm not gonna talk to her about her no free clout um anyway if you have a, if you have a, if you have a pretty like robust like super successful career like then I understand right but if you like if you if it's like something small or like you know you're still like very new I just I wish that they wouldn't do that to self-published authors I hope that publishing sort of like changes its attitude uh towards that sort of branch of our community because it's not right (laughs) it's it's a lot of work yeah well I also think as long as publishers continue continue to consolidate as long as they continue to start paying us in fourths and fifths and these ridiculous um you know pay splits like people are going to turn to self-publishing to survive. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree. I mean, it's, it's really unfortunate because it's sort of like, it, it was all always the case that it was very difficult to survive as an author, unless you had like a rich partner um, or you kept a full-time job. Um, but now it's going to be that times 10 for like people who maybe could have survived before, you know? Yeah. Um, so that is very true. We we got to figure something out. We got to <laughs> we got to storm. We got to get on Clifford and storm Scholastic. Don't. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I cannot with you guys. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> going back to your debut, which is a contemporary um, novel kind of comped to I'm not your perfect Mexican daughter meets emergency contact, which, you know, from your story about your publishing journey your self-publishing was paranormal you said mostly yeah yeah so like what like kind of inspired you to make the genre change was it because of the change to traditional publishing because of your own journey uh, like emotional and mental health journey um like what kind of inspired that so my favorite author of all time is melina marquetta and she genre hops too. So she writes high fantasy. She writes contemporary novels, some contemporary romance. And she has a, several of her contemporary books 
are like all in the same world. So from the first book, she might take some secondary characters and give them their own book. And so I was just really inspired by that idea of like building out a world where I had, you know, like a really large, robust cast and different people would get their own standalones. And um, and so that's why I wanted to work on this book at that particular time. But like I said, I'm not I'm not like. My loyalties lie nowhere. I <laughs> I love every genre and I hope to get back to writing fantasy and paranormal, you know, someday. I'm just I just so happen to be writing contemporary fiction right now and that just so happens to be what sold as my debut. Awesome. And for anyone who has not picked up um, your debut somewhere between bitter and sweet yet, can you give us a quick summary of it? Yeah, so there are two main characters. So it's told in dual point of view, which has become sort of my thing <laughs> um, in writing romance. I just really love, you know, writing from both uh, love interest point of view. So Penn is an aspiring pastry chef who dreams of continuing her father's cooking legacy, but her parents don't think that's such a great idea. But the reasons for that are a little mysterious. On the one hand, it seems like they want her to pick something more practical, but on the other hand, it seems like there's something they're hiding from her about the restaurant itself, which may be why her father is so adamant about her not taking over the place. But Penn has secrets too, and when one of those secrets comes to light, it solidifies Penn's father's opinion that she doesn't belong at the restaurant, and he fires her. And the same day, a new hire shows up. His name is Xander, and of course, there's like an instant love connection <laughs> between yeah. them. They have a moment <laughs> in the employee bathroom. Um, but besides a romance developing between the two, their lives become even more intertwined when both the restaurant and Xander's immigrant status are threatened. Then he and Penn must work together to save the place they both call home. Yay, I love that. I have so much respect for contemporary writers. I I don't know if I can survive. I mean, I've written a graphic novel that was contemporary. There was no magic, but that was a little bit different for me. Um I don't know if I could survive without making somebody like do a spell. <laughs> <laughs> Every, emotions are magic in contemporary yeah. novels. They're just yeah. heightened and intense. That's very yeah. cute. That's very cute. <laughs> I just feel like I think I think that I don't know. Well, you've done both. Um so that's like super like another level of talent in my eyes but I mm -hmm. always feel like fantasy writers are like how do you do it and like contemporary writers are like how do you do it um <laughs> but to be able to do both is like incredible to me like galaxy brain like that's pretty cool oh it's definitely I'm like actually I feel like in young adult because genre mixing is so much more um commonplace I don't think it's as odd to switch between genres as people might think honestly yeah I suppose I just don't know I just <laughs> I feel like I'd be boring and like I don't I need I need something otherwise I don't because you know what it is I'm bad at writing about kissing I think that's what it is <laughs> well <laughs> that's fair I guess contemporary romance does need some form of kissing or almost smooching kissing. you need flirting you need something right <laughs> <laughs> and like even if there's no kissing if there's flirting like 
And even mm-hmm. with flirting, like, I have a hard time. I'm like, am I doing this correctly? Like, I don't know. Um, I guess I guess we'll find out someday. But for now. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I cannot wait. I cannot wait for you to be forced to write more kissing scenes. It'll oh, be there's a lot of amazing. them in my YA. It's not good. I mean, maybe it is. I don't know. <laughs> um, okay. So <laughs> back to... Back to the topic on hand. Um, I know. I feel like I'm just listening to an episode. <laughs> you are, A but you're on episode. it this time. <laughs> yes. Um, so, so that was your debut. Which congratulations, debut woo, is always really woo. special. Um, but you do have another book coming out, and as of the airing of this episode, it's either already out or just about to be out. Um, so can you also let everyone know what Heartbreak Symphony is about? Yeah, so it's been described as clap when you land meets on the come up in a heart gripping story about navigating first love and overcoming grief through the power of music. It takes one of the secondary characters from somewhere between bitter and sweet and gives him his own story. So it follows Aaron Madrano. And he has been haunted by the onstage persona of his favorite musician ever since his mother passed away. He seems to know all of Aaron's deepest fears, like that his brain doesn't work the way it should, and that's why his brother and father seem to be pushing him away. He thinks his ticket out is a scholarship to the prestigious Acadia School of Music. That is, if he can avoid blowing his audition. And then Mia Villanueva has a haunting of her own, and it's the only family heirloom her parents left her doubt. It's the reason she can't overcome her stage fright or believe that her music is worth making. Even though her trumpet teacher tells her she has a gift, she's not sure if she'll ever figure out how to use it or if she's even deserving of it in the first place. When Aaron and Mia cross paths, Aaron sees a chance to get close to the girl he's had a crush on for years, and to finally feel connected to someone since losing his mother. Mia sees a chance to hold herself accountable by making them both face their fears and hopefully make their dreams come true. But soon they'll realize there's something much scarier than getting up on stage, falling in love with a broken heart. Uh, oh, wow. Just wow. the description. Uh, uh. I love the way that you describe your books. It's like very soothing. I can I can see why you mm-hmm. are on other podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> you have a good podcast voice. Yeah. Write or die podcast voice approved. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this, I love when people expand on secondary characters. It's like... Mm-hmm my secret favorite trope but I don't think it's a trope it's just like my favorite random story thing (laughs) because I'm always like well this person was so interesting for that chapter like where are they going (laughs) yeah it's mine too and I noticed that it's a lot of writers of color do it and I'm not exactly sure why I don't know if it's because like we have a natural tendency to write large supporting casts and Mm -hmm. Um, or what it is, but I've just noticed that, like, especially with all the books by other Musas that I've been reading lately, um, cause you know, we get the arc hookup when, <laughs> when yeah. you're after the collective. um, <laughs> I've just noticed that like a lot of us are, are doing that. And I think it's really beautiful. I like the fact that we're sort of like building out these communities so that they feel as rich as like we were talking before as rich as like a fantasy world where you mm-hmm. have to do all of that world building like we're doing the same thing um but you're getting to meet like 
people that we know, like, I feel like my characters are members of my family. They're Mm -hmm. my neighbors. They're my friends. And so I sort of want readers to meet all of them. Mm -hmm. And that's why I just can't let them go. Oh, I love the way you put it. I I really do love that. Like, my reason was going to be sadder. Because I was going to be like, well, as BIPOC, we're so used to always being side characters. So we know that there's more to our story. <laughs> oh, I was going to say a lot of us come I prefer from yours. bigger families or like, like for me yeah. anyway, like I, not only did I come from a big family, but also like someone who's been friends with my parents for like 30 years is now my aunt, even if she never was my aunt, like. She, exactly, she's yeah. my tia and like that person's my cousin and then I'll find out like 15 years later like it's not actually your cousin we just <laughs> call them your cousin um so for me that sensibility comes from that like this like big huge like group of people around me who are like mm-hmm. and everyone has their own story and is really important um and completely off top- topic, but I feel like that's one of the things K-dramas do really well. Um, I was going to, that was going to be my other less depressing reason is because our, I think because I also telenovelas do, do it too, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Huge ensemble casts. Yeah. But I feel like, especially with K-dramas, which uh, I think that's, this is why Betty La Fea, the Colombian original one, is one of my favorites because like the smallest side character will have like their wants and needs and like you'll see like at least something play out for them and I really love that and like that's one of the reasons I love K-dramas too but that was a tangent anyway it wasn't a tangent (laughs) that was totally valid craft discussion we're talking about craft on our writing podcast (laughs) um so anyway back to back to your books <laughs> that's the tangent is we need to we need to focus focus on the books um so how has i feel like we asked this question of everyone but i just really want to like give everyone a virtual hug and be like how has it been debuting during a panini are you okay <laughs> um i don't know i don't know if I would have had an easier time if we weren't in a pandemic because I have nothing to compare it to, obviously. But mm-hmm. I, I had a really, really difficult time with debuting. Um, and this is something that I've talked about, you know, over on my podcast with different people, just about how it feels like you're just you've just been pushed off a cliff. And like no one is looking over the edge to see if you actually hit the ground. Oh, wow. And it feels really isolating. It feels really empty. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to get super dark, but I I wasn't expecting it. Mm-hmm. And people told me that, you know, it would be an emotional experience. But because everyone's experience is so unique, I had no way of anticipating how hard it would hit me. So the three weeks before debut and the three weeks after, I was incredibly depressed and had not experienced that level of depression since my dad passed away when I was a teenager. And that was such a shock to me because it they're, they feel like totally opposite experiences, right? In mm-hmm. one case, you're saying goodbye to something and, and with the book, it's it's you know, it's being introduced into the world, it's being born into the world. And yet I had those same 
feelings of just being really exposed, of being really raw and and just it did not give me the high that I was expecting Mm -hmm. at all. Um, And so I really had to learn that, you know, pandemic or not, we have to give ourselves that closure. First of all, we have to, you know, celebrate the positive things in life. Like putting out a book is, is a really great thing and it should be celebrated, but we also have to learn how to say goodbye to those things on our own. You know, there's no one else is really going to give us closure for that kind of experience, especially now when everything's virtual, like we're not having launch parties, we're not getting to celebrate or just be around family and friends for that milestone. So we have to figure out how to make those mental shifts on our own. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, that's what I've been working on. It took me several months to feel better and I do feel better. I just know now that I know now what to anticipate and I know now some of the things that I need to do in order to better protect myself, like setting boundaries, saying no, you know, asking for questions from publications before I do interviews to make sure they're not super invasive or inappropriate. Like, just extra precautions that I think marginalized authors, especially those writing about difficult things, writing from a place of personal trauma, things that we need to do to make sure that we are still whole by the end of the process because, mm-hmm. you know, everyone else is is taking from you and you've got to figure out how to replenish what's being taken from you during that process, so... It was a journey. <laughs> yeah, it's really oh. hard. And, like, you know, I think that because, like, like Kat and I, like, we've been to, like, so many events. Well, Kat, Kat didn't debut during a pan- pandemic. So Kat got to, like, have, like, the whole thing. But, like, I've been yeah. to, like, tons of book launches. And, like, we know that sort of, like, what's involved in those kinds of things. There's a lot of... um outlets that authors have been missing since last year that we haven't got to experience um and I especially feel like since everything's happening online and online feels like such a volatile place sometimes um it can be sort of really isolating and hard but I just want you to know that like you are going to have that book release that's going to be really happy and I, Mm -hmm. I I feel like just because your first experience was a tough one doesn't mean that it's going to be like that every single time um there is a certain and we cat and i talk about this all the time we're like we really miss going to book launches because we'd go to book launches even if it weren't it wasn't our own we'd go to like everybody's book launch yeah <laughs> like literally every single person we were book launch hoes <laughs> yeah big time and i would like leave my job like run like cat save me a seat <laughs> yeah. i'm running all the way down to the city to just and then we would all have dinner afterwards, like decompress. And like, there's something really essential in those moments where like you sit down and you vent and you talk to authors in a way that is just like very meaningful and where you get a lot of information from people and like learn things and like learn how to like protect yourself and like all of these tips from like people who have been there for mm-hmm. a long time that we learned during those moments. Um, 
Yeah. But I feel I feel like I completely understand uh, where you're coming from, and I'm sorry that that was your experience. But I I really think that you are going to have amazing, beautiful releases that are gonna like feel really happy and like joyful. And I also want to talk to you about your middle grade because yes, <laughs> that's my that's my world, and I love. <laughs> To welcome people into middle grade, and um, so you have a a, a fall uh, twenty two, um, the legend of La Lechuza, and I'm really excited about it. Um, could you tell people a little bit uh, of what that's about? Omega Morales and the Legend of La Lechuza is, like you said, a middle grade novel about a girl who must learn to trust herself and her ancestral powers when she comes face to face with the Mexican legend La Lechuza and comes out next year in the fall. That's so, so exciting. exciting. How yeah. was it kind of like transitioning? I mean, as we've already discussed, you've genre hopped a bunch in young adult, but this is middle grade. Was there a big difference there for you or was it just kind of writing is writing <laughs> for you? Uh, I mean, I needed something fun. This was a book I wrote during the pandemic. So last spring, or no, I can't say last spring because this is going to air in, t- <laughs> in 2022. So, so spring of 2020. Yeah, spring of 2020 is when I was working on this. And it was just my happy place during that time. I had wanted to do something um in fantasy because like we've been talking about that's kind of like where that's kind of where I built my first audience online and mm-hmm. I just love fantasy so much and um and I also wanted to write something about a younger version of me or something a younger version of me would have liked to read um cuz right now little brown has they have my young adults. They have my picture books that are unannounced. And so I, I've i always wanted to write across age categories. And so I was just sort of waiting for the right idea for middle grade. And whenever we first moved into um, the home that we live in now, I remember we went into the backyard one night and there are these massive trees sort of across the street, um, the back of our house. And and there was this giant owl in the tree <laughs> and my heart just starts racing. And I was like, Oh my gosh, why, like, why am I feeling scared right now <laughs> of this owl? And I had forgotten like why owls are scary in like Latinx culture and in Chicana culture. Um, and it's because <laughs> they're, um, and I think it's really rooted in in a lot of indigenous cultures, but they're just sort of like these, they're bad omens, really. Mm. Um, and so La Lechusa is, uh, the story of her is that she's a witch who has the power to turn herself into an owl. Mm. And my great-grandmother claimed to have seen her uh, in real life and, oh, at her wow. home in San Antonio. So... That was, out of all of the legends, that's the one that I grew up hearing the most about. And so it's the one that I'm, you know, most drawn to and most fascinated by. But I just thought it was so interesting that even though I hadn't heard the story in at least a decade, that like 
my body had a like I had a visceral reaction to seeing this owl <laughs> and knew immediately that it was dangerous and so that's that's what reminded me of the story and that's what inspired me to turn it into a middle grade novel I love that that's so much fun oh, and I can't wait so to get wild. my arc <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> gotta gotta use your Las Musas capital there for your arc. I'll use my write or die capital, okay? Oh, <laughs> Send me oh one. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just got my edit letter yesterday. So. Oh, good luck to you. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. I know I know that edit letter life. I always have like I don't know if you do this, um, but when I get an edit letter, it, first of all, it takes me a while to open it. I've gotten better about it, but once I open it, I have to like process it for a couple of days. And I'm like mm-hmm. in despair. Um, and it's always so hard. Like it just doesn't get easier for me. Um, and even if it's like, it's, it's, it's not like they're telling me the book is bad or anything like that. It's just like, Oh, I have to do so much work. <laughs> and I just get so overwhelmed. Um, and and it's just a lot I just don't want to look at it for for like days on end but yeah I stopped so now what I do is when I get my edit letter and I get my notes like in the actual word document I don't open it um like they'll so my editor will put in a date in the email like can you get it to us by such and such date let me know after you look at the notes if you think that's going to work I don't even bother looking at the notes first I just go ahead and ask for the extension immediately (laughs) (laughs) and then once I've asked for it that helps like for some reason that removes one of the psychological barriers and it allows me to actually open up the document and dig into it but I have to do that first now (laughs) that's amazing (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I'm all for advocating for yourself for like deadline extensions mm-hmm. or like asking questions to clarify things from your publisher when they don't give you all the information. I'm all for that. We've got to advocate for for us as authors every step of the way. Yeah. And I just I prefer not to wait. You know, I don't want to be like, oh, we'll see. And I'll try and do my best and then end up working on weekends to try to meet the deadline. Like mm-hmm. I want to work at a comfortable pace. Mm-hmm. I've, you know, this will be my third time, you know, working with an editor to revise a project. And so I've just learned by now that like there are certain things that I can do to make the process a little easier for myself. And that is one of them. Just asking for an extension before I even begin. <laughs> That's awesome. That is, I support that. That's amazing. Yeah, that's like a really good piece I really of advice. Love I, it. I really want to start doing that actually. <laughs> Thanks for my edit letter. And now I need an extension. <laughs> amazing. But then you don't have to worry about it later, right? The energy. You don't have to, I yeah, love it. You don't have to work up the courage later to ask for it. Just make it a habit of asking immediately. You know, and then also yeah. maybe that will condition them to just go ahead and give you like what you typically ask for. Right. You know? yeah. Right. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Cause when you see the edits, you'll know like, okay, I'm going to need more time to do this. So it's not like, it's just like you get the book deal and you're like, okay, now I need an extension. <laughs> it's based on like <laughs> the notes that they're giving you. Right. Um, yeah. But I just, I, I really like that a lot. That's, that's, you're I can confidently say you're the first writer that I've ever heard does that but it is 
I love it so much. <laughs> it's amazing. Okay, so everyone who's on the podcast tells us their most embarrassing uh, publishing-related story some or something they wish they'd known before they started. It could be either or. It could be both. It's up to you. I haven't really had any opportunities to embarrass myself because I haven't gone anywhere or <laughs> really interacted with anyone in the industry. So I guess I'll share something that I wish I would have known. Um, and this is just like straight up practical information, but it's something that I think has a huge effect on whether or not you can actually make writing full-time work, um, which is that any part of the production schedule for your book, if it is delayed, your payments will also be delayed. Hmm. So, you know, for example, let's say you're waiting on your edit letter from your editor and it's late, which is, you know, super common, <laughs> by the way. Um, but it's so late that you're actually starting to get close to like the final manuscript delivery date listed in your contract. Then finally the edit letter comes in and your editor says she needs it back on, I don't know, June 1st, but the delivery date was supposed to be April 1st. That means that the payment you were expecting on April 1st is not going to happen. Like logistically, it just can't. And that's when things get really tricky because, you know, let's say that your previous advance check was only going to get you through April because you were assuming by then you would be paid again. You could end up being short and then you have to figure that out. Like you have to dip into your emergency fund to cover those additional months or, or some, or like do gig work that you weren't expecting to have to do. Um, and, and there's really nothing you can do about it <laughs> except, you know, have enough savings to cover those months in between. So I wish I would have known that before this whole process started because I would have, you know, had some different safety nets in place. But it's also one of those things that I like talking about with other authors because it's so frustrating and I feel like it's a problem that we need to figure out how to fix because it's a huge barrier for marginalized authors who don't have generational wealth, who don't have a spouse who can support them financially. It's just yet another thing that makes it almost impossible to do this work full time. Absolutely. That's so true. And it's such a, it's, it is such a, like, it's such a, a quote unquote, uh, natural thing to think, right? Like a common sense thing to realize, but like, it's not like when you're in it, you don't realize it until it's like, Oh wait, I'm not getting paid right now. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's it's like, I thought the contract was for both of us, <laughs> but I guess it's really just for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's hard. And you know, I've, I've never thought about the fact that there are authors who have just fully never interacted with other people in the industry and been published and gone through. You you guys are like pandemic babies. I was you just going to say, it's like babies born during the pandemic and they've <laughs> yeah. only known this life. <laughs> this is the only life you know. Um, the first big like thing where there's like a lot of people is going to be so interesting because it's gonna be wild it's gonna be wild gonna have a panic attack at where, wherever it is oh well if i'm there you just come to me i am an expert yeah. at dealing with author panic attacks i have helped many a person um i remember once there was an author and 
we were at like ALA midwinter, I think it was. And she was like, I don't know what to do. I'm literally hiding behind a, a garbage can right now. Oh, no. <laughs> and I was like, come to my booth. I have snacks and water for you. And you can hang out with me as long as you want. Um, it can be overwhelming, but you find your buddy, have somebody there who has been to yeah. stuff before and you'll be a-okay. Don't worry. Or even like just a couple of other day, like, debuts so you just don't Mm -hmm. feel exposed because you're in this small group yeah yeah we'll be the ones all huddled together (laughs) (laughs) i'm terrified because everything we've ever done has been scripted and virtual and who knows how to interact with people in the real world anymore for real oh yeah it's so hard but thank you so much for being on the podcast and chatting about your journey and your amazing sounding books Thank you for having me. It was so fun. Yay. I'm glad. I'm so glad. Can you let everyone know where they can find you on the internet? Yeah. So I'm at Lake and Zaya Kemp at everywhere. So <laughs> all social platforms, um, it's the same name. And if you're not sure how to spell it, um, it's L-A-E-K-A-N-Z-E-A-K-E-M-P. Yay, thank you awesome. so much for uh, being with us. Super excited for all your books to come and for your middle grade and to maybe go to one of your book launches one day and make sure you have a good time or else. Yes, or else. <laughs> we'll, we'll threaten you into having a good time. Violence is my love language, remember? But Yes, for real. Okay, and we're going to have all this information, the um, – website social media links in the show notes as well as where to buy somewhere between bitter and sweet and heartbreak symphony so you all can buy the prerequisite 20 copies yes and do it yes and thank you again Lakin, for being on write or die thanks for listening to write or die be sure to check out wicked fox by cat Cho and ghost squad by clarabelle a ortega and while you're at it make sure to subscribe to us on itunes and leave us a review See you next time, Wordies. And don't forget to spread the word.